In this episode, we get sciency, genetic sciency, and how our genes play a part in body weight. Our guest is Haley Alexander, health coach, health writer, mentor, self-defense instructor, and Virgin Active South Africa yoga master trainer. Fascinating episode, and no matter what your body weight, shape, or size, there is important info in this chat for all of us. Enjoy. Haley Alexander, welcome to Virgin Active Minds. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Mark, and thank you for inviting me to join and to, to share in discussion with you. I'm super excited to get into this, very, what I find a very interesting topic. And in particular, we're talking about genes. Uh, and we're also going to be talking about how our genes uh, may be responsible for body weight, losing weight, increasing weight, maintaining weight. Very fascinating topic. As you know, I've had my genes tested about 10 years ago uh, just to discover some, you know, I discovered a lot of interesting things about my gene expression, but I can't remember anything in regards to, you know, weight or weight maintenance. So I am quite excited to get into this conversation with you. Awesome. For the listener out there probably has, you know, some level of understanding in regards to our genes do play a part when it comes to our health and well-being. But, you know, I guess what we're discussing today is do our genes play a part in body weight. Correct. So I would say most definitely, and like you said, you did your testing 10 years ago and things have certainly evolved quite, quite substantially since then. Um, in the past, it was very much a generalized genetic test looking at different variations. We call them single nucleotide polymorphisms that are tested for, so SNPs. SNPs is the keyword. And when there are these variations, it can have an impact on many areas of health that affects our diet, weight management, um, can affect mental health, can affect athletic performance. So I hope that uh, we can go back to your report afterwards and maybe maybe you'll derive some new insights from that. But but definitely in terms of in terms of certain barriers like we, we, we may have with regards to losing weight and storing fat, it's because our genes impact our metabolism and our feeding behaviors. So we'll, I'll give you a couple of examples maybe just now, but it's, it's really always a matter of the nature versus nurture. And ultimately, how we look physically is based on what we are putting into our bodies, regardless of the genes that you may have. Right. Okay. Okay. So therefore, they do have an effect in regards to body weight, but it is more, I guess, an indirect way. Is that what you're saying? I'd say the two, they very much go, go hand in hand because you can have very good genes, but then you put rubbish into your body. So that's not going to help much. You know, it might just trigger a little bit later that you, you know, as you get older, you find, oh, you know, your metabolism's not what it used to be. Um, whereas you can have someone that's got unfortunate, you know, the, the genes that, that hold onto fat or are slow for fat metabolism. And, you know, these guys eat fairly normally, but struggle to lose weight. So this can lead to, to a lot of weight loss resistance. Um, if I can give you a quick, I don't know what your understanding is of, of genetics, Mark, but maybe I can just give you a quick, a quick background there. Give us the background. <laughs> okay. Give you the background. Right. Genetics 101. So, so our genes are made up of, of base pairs that can combine in different ways to form amino acids, which as we know, are the building blocks of proteins and enzymes. So each base pair is described using the letters A, C, G, and T. 
And these are the base pairs that kind of combine to form the, the double helix structures, which you see when you have those pictures of chromosomes. So sometimes when I, when I explain this to my clients, I actually have two little necklaces and I've got the different numbers, A, T, C, and G, and I've got them different colors. And I show you that, you know, the necklace might look the same. If you have to do a quick comparison, it looks like the same necklace. It's got the same beads and colors, but they're ordered in a different pattern. And depending on how your pattern is ordered, that's where the variations can come in. And it's not right or wrong. It just means that some have the, the favorable variation, whereas for others you might not, or you might have a deletion or an insertion, which can change the expression of the gene. So depending on your results of your specific base pairs, it can have an impact on the way your metabolism will respond to foods for better or for worse. So like I said, for, for example, um, and this is a gene that, that fascinates me. There's a few of my, what I call favorite genes that I kind of tend to go back on and do a bit more research, but there is a gene called FTO. And whenever I see someone with the, the FTO, where I see three little circles, that means it has a high impact. I'm like, oh, shame. Um, I'm one of those people. So the FTO gene is the fat mass and obesity associated gene. And it's present in several metabolically active tissues, including the heart, the kidney, adipose tissue, and it's most highly expressed actually in the brain, in the hypothalamus. And here in the brain, it plays a role in appetite regulation. So this gene, FTO, actually controls the expression and presence of hormones that make us hungry and also hormones that make us feel full. So you can see why, why this can cause havoc if you have an unfavorable variation because for example, individuals, like I said, with a base pairing, we, we can have an A or we can have a G that encodes the, the protein here. And if you have the A allele present, so the A is the A copy, or even one A, so even if they had AG, then all these individuals tend to have, when they've done studies comparing AA versus the GG individuals, those with the A tend to have a higher BMI, a higher body fat percentage, and even a, a larger waist circumference, especially when they have a sedentary lifestyle. So they do this often with, with animal experiments where they'll you know, give mice the same diet, but knowing that one of the mice has the AA and one of the mice has the, the GG and nothing is different, but the one with the AA will, will have higher body mass. So this comes back to my first point where I said that, that one cannot look at one's genetics without having the environmental perspective because this as, as I said you know it's it's when they have the sedentary lifestyle that these expressions of the gene the phenotypic expression so the phenotypic expression is the physical expression whereas the the genotype relates to the numbers the phenotype relates to how it's actually physically shown to us and then they're, they're the genes that also make us more susceptible for snacking there's snacking genes that just make us naturally go to the cupboard at night um, and there's even a gene that predisposes individuals for preference towards sweeter foods. So it's called the TAS gene. So if you have a high expression of the, the TAS gene, naturally, you're going to crave sweeter foods. So naturally, you're going to eat more rubbish um, and you're going to need more sweets to, to crave that, I mean, to, to satisfy that craving. So all of these genes, you'll see collectively, you know, you might... You might not have the FTO gene, but then you have the TAS gene. So you've got a sweet tooth. So you favor chocolates and sweets. So it all goes um, together. But then it, again, like, like I always tell my, my clients is that if you know what your barrier is and what you have inherently, then you can work on making better choices. Mm, I see what you're saying. Okay. That makes it much clearer for me now. So there's definitely 
And I guess, you know, there's probably a few listeners out there that are like, maybe I'm just lucky to have the gene and the, you know, the, what was it? The GG gene and then can just eat whatever I want. (laughs) Then rather the AA. (laughs) Yeah. So regardless, no matter how your genes are expressed, your environment, the way you engage in this life active, not active, eat well, don't eat well, these things are still going to have a significant impact regardless of your gene expression. 100% Mark, no, you, you said it. And, and, you know, sometimes they, they speak about genetics and, and genes with, you know, you, you might have the genes there, but imagine it's like a light switch that has a dimmer on it. So if you have the switch for, you know, the fat mass and obesity gene, you can switch it brighter or you can keep it dimmer down. So if you, if you do the things and and make the modifications that you're not triggering it, you keep the light switch down. Whereas if you are eating unhealthy and you have a sedentary lifestyle, then that FTO is going to be fully expressed. So, you know, that, that's why I, I suppose I take my, my health and my fitness and my diet very seriously, because if you had to see my gene reports, you'd look at them and say, but geez, you know, like you don't look like what you should look like based on the variations that you have, because I've got very bad variations or bad, so to speak. Um, but then you have, as you say, those people who are, are skinny and they, they're always out and binge drinking and eating ice cream and McDonald's and they, they don't gain weight, but it will eventually catch up with them, even if it's not phenotypically expressed in terms of how they look, what's happening on the inside and with their health and detoxification and inflammation, all of those issues can become very serious health problems. So in a way, I'd rather see it phenotypically first and then make those changes then then be totally unaware. True. What, what I hear in that also is, you know, we are in this conversation talking about our genes in regards to body weight. So the FTO that we just discussed, potentially TAS, the, I definitely have the TAS one, <laughs> but we can't look at them in isolation, right? Like, even though, as you just described that skinnier person eating lots of Maccas, you know, maybe their genes are currently helping them now, but there could be all these other genes that are being switched on like inflammation and that sort of thing. Correct. That could then, you know, regardless, you might not ever be overweight, but you could still be very unhealthy. Absolutely. No, that's spot on. So look, that does bring me on to my next question. And, uh, you know, we know that body composition, muscle, fat isn't always an indicator of poor health, right? But I guess from a genetic standpoint, you know, we're all on this spectrum in regards to our gene expression. And we're also on this spectrum of body shapes as well. Are we, I guess, in a way genetically... Uh, predetermined into regard in regards to our body shape, not even just body weight, but body shape. Is there this natural spectrum? So you're looking more, you know, on the classic body types, perhaps, you know, where some people are just more ectomorph versus mesomorph and endomorph. I think there's definitely something genetically there that, you know, you, you generally will, because of the genes that you have, be a little bit softer, rounder, taller, or more bony. When we look at the metabolic genes, that there are certain genes that are responsible for mobilizing fat stores. Maybe that's the first part to start here. So, like I said, some some individuals are blessed with good combinations, while others have variations that lead to slower flat fat metabolism and hence better fat storage. So, when we have the endomorphs, for example, 
they are better at fat storage. Their bodies like to hold on to fat. And this is just, a, a you know, something from, from evolution, you know, when we were cavemen and you didn't know when your next meal would be, um, you know, it, it was a good thing to have an advantage where your body could store fat for longer. So, you know, like I say, you can't look at anything and label it as it's a good thing or it's a bad thing because now, you know, food is plentiful and it's, it, we're saying it's a bad thing, but when there's, you know, when there's no food to be able to hold on to fat is a good thing. So it's all looking at, you know, the body's ability to mobilize our, our fat stores and how, how our body uses our fat stores. They also, and I, I spoke, I think, discussed this um, beforehand about the the sport report, the D-analysis sport report that looks at your muscle mass and your athletic potential. And there are certain genes that favor power potential and have musculoskeletal properties. So this from a, from a training or an athletic perspective might give someone an advantage towards retaining a higher muscle mass percentage, which is also important when you're looking at the, the ratios of, of fat versus muscle. Someone that has the genes favorable for power performance will retain muscle better. We know also that gender and age plays a huge role when we look at what is the ideal body fat and muscle mass percentages. So, so it's not such a simple answer. Women naturally have a higher body fat percentage than men. And the older we get, the more muscle mass we tend to lose. So in general, the health experts say that men should fall between 8 to 19% body fat, whereas Women should aim to range between 23 to 33%. And then just on the spectrum of comparison, like you asked, um, men tend to have 40% muscle mass compared to women who have approximately 30%. And it's because of just, you know, the, the roles that our bodies were, were designed to carry out. Right. Okay. There's a lot in there, right? Like there's just so many things to take into consideration. And, you know, I guess we, we are discussing a topic here that isn't necessarily just clear cut, black, white, an easy topic. You know, it, it's also a nice thing to know that, and you've said it a couple of times now that there's not necessarily anything that's right or wrong, but there is difference, especially in regards to, uh, you know, the, the, the world that we came from where we, you know, how we evolved, um, this very wild life that we were living really not that long ago from a genetic standpoint and how that variation, even just in body shape and body size, you know, how that variation within a tribe was actually a really, really important thing. Not only did different body shapes help different individuals survive, but sometimes, and a lot of the time, actually, it really helped the whole community survive. And I guess we've kind of lost that now though, right? Like there's part of us, you know, and we think about, you know, the different expectations that community, that society has, that social media has, you know, and there's, we kind of revere a certain type, size, shape, look that to be ideal. But, you know, when you look at the hundreds of thousands of years of evolution we've gone through, it's just a blip on the on the radar really that we're seeing ourselves in a different way sure now, i love that you have that macro vision of it and i think we do tend to forget you know you know and we base ourselves on on the magazines and the the research of what what is ideal and how much fat should you have and this and that and everybody is really you know and should only consider themselves based on what their individual makeup is because you know otherwise you just we can't an apple tree can never wish to be an orange tree. An apple tree will always be an apple tree. Mm. Um, you just want to be the healthiest apple tree that you possibly can be. I really love that analogy, right? Like you just want to be the healthiest apple tree that you can be. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I didn't even write that down, Mark. <laughs> that was all inspired by you. <laughs> I love that. You should definitely write that down. I, I'll try not to steal it. Okay, so being armed with that knowledge, and obviously we can, you know, any of us can go out and get a genetic test tomorrow. I mean, the results might not come tomorrow, but... Three weeks, three weeks. Three weeks. Uh, definitely faster than my previous one. Um, what can we do with that knowledge? Like what is it, I guess, when you think about how you're working with your clients, which will be genetically very different people, like how do we use that knowledge to be able to influence our body weight, whether it be increasing mass, decreasing, what would be the step? Sure, sure. So, so when I when I get the reports, I mean they're very complicated. The health report is about forty pages. The diet report is not as not as it not as long, but it comes with a summary table where you see the specific gene names, and there'll be about maybe twenty different genes that have some relation with with diet and weight gain and fat loss and obstacles and all of that. So you have the gene name. And then you have the gene variant. So it shows you, are you the normal variant that doesn't give you a predisposition or are you the mutated variant, let's say, that gives you a higher impact. So I'll always scan the summary table and then I'll have a look. Okay, this person's got three genes impacted in this area and it's related to lipid metabolism. So let's have a look at what's going on here. And then my focus is looking at those genetic variants which have an effect, but the effect can be modified through appropriate intervention. So appropriate intervention is making different dietary choices, cutting out certain foods, um, or including certain supplements. Some of us don't even know. For example, my gene report showed me that I had a deletion in producing the enzyme lactase. So it means my body doesn't produce lactase. I really shouldn't be eating any dairy because my body actually doesn't know how to metabolize dairy. So naturally, it's going to be stored as fat because when your body doesn't know what to do with something, it stores it as fat. So something as simple as that as cutting out dairy or knowing that, oh my goodness, I have a deletion in producing vitamin D. The body's supposed to produce vitamin D. My body doesn't. So I need to supplement with vitamin D. And then what happens is the more you start making these tweaks, cutting out this, adding that, you know, it might be wheat, it might be supplements, it might be a vitamin, it, you know, it can be many small little things that if you cut it out or add it in, that you start to see quite dramatic changes because now all of a sudden the body's getting what it needs to, to function more optimally. So what I really love about, about the de-analysis in particular, and I have done more than one type of genetic testing. So every DNA report gives a summary of recommendations that one should consider in order to achieve one's ideal weight and improve overall health and well-being. And then based on one's result, a specific diet is suggested for the individual. So for example, based on one's genes, perhaps a low-fat diet might be the best suited plan, while for another person, a low-carb diet or perhaps the Mediterranean diet may be suggested. And then it's really up to the individual to make the necessary food and lifestyle changes to reach their goals. And I really I find this fascinating because there's so many diets out there and people will say, oh, my friend lost so much weight following the Banting diet. Or someone else will say, have you tried intermittent fasting? It's the only way to lose weight. And the truth is there really is not, it doesn't, diets don't go by the one size fits all. Um, and that's what makes, you know, this, I suppose, for me so much more of scientific value, because 
for example, my best diet plan is a low-fat diet because my body doesn't mobilize fat stores well. I should just try and cut out as much fat as possible. But then you have experts that say, no, fat is better than carbs. You must cut out all the carbs. But my body knows exactly what to do with carbs, but it's struggling with the fats. So it would be a very bad idea for me to go on a, a banting diet. It would also be a very bad idea for me to go on an intermittent fasting plan because when you do intermittent fasting, that taps into your fat metabolism and that's where I'm, I'm not stronger. So my husband, on the other hand, is the total opposite. He should be on a low-carb diet and a higher fat diet. So that means that he should have more, more fats. I mean, obviously healthier fats, not the saturated types, but higher fats, longer um, periods between eating so that he uses his fat stores. And intermittent fasting is a great idea for him if he wants to lose weight. And I think naturally he does that. You know, I'll be like, oh, it's eight o'clock. What's for breakfast? And he's like, oh, don't talk to me until lunchtime. So we inherently, you know, if you listen to your body, and, and I think, uh, you know, if, if you listen to your body, maybe you can say, I don't need to do these genetic tests because I'm very in tune with my body. But who can honestly say, I know exactly what my body needs all the time? I think, I think very few people, I'm not saying there aren't people. And it's, if you do practice mindfulness, you, you can, you can get to that. But, you know, this is, it's, it's just sort of a sure way to see you're this or you're that. Um, and then when, when people have a lot of inflammation, when we look at the health report, I mean, inflammation can be very, very dangerous because it's an indicator of, you know, perhaps, um, being pre-diabetic, it can trigger certain cancers. To have any inflammation in the body is, is a potentially harmful. So when we look at it in conjunction with the health report, anyone who has a lot of inflammation genes, they suggest the Mediterranean diet. Because Mediterranean diet is great as an anti-inflammatory diet. So that's why we have to look at it very holistically. It's not just to say, okay, if you want to lose weight, you must be on the low fat, you must be on the low carb. You know, if somebody has inflammation as their biggest priority area, then I would rather say focus on the Mediterranean diet because then it's, it's about your overall health outcome. And the Mediterranean diet is probably the most well-balanced of, of all three recommendations. Mm, right. Okay. I mean, it's, you're right. There are definitely people out there that will be like, you know, you know, they'll get a sense of what they need at the right time in their life. But for the most of us, how would we even know that? Right. Like, I'm sure there's a listener now that's thinking, oh, yeah, I tried that diet. It worked really well for my friend, but it did nothing for me. You know, and it's like, well, there's clear reason here. We, we really need to understand that there is no one size fits all in anything, whether it be food or exercise or sleep and rest. We truly are individuals and that is shown in our, in, in our genes in the way that they're expressed. I mean, it's not to say that you won't you know, where your friend has success and you don't, it's not to say that the diet might not initially work for you. I mean, you could, you could lose a little bit of weight perhaps initially, but it's mostly because now you're conscious of what you're putting in your body more and you might see some results, but you won't see optimal results unless you're following the Taylor program for you. Um, and unfortunately what happens all too often is people that go on, you know, okay, we, we're going to commit to intermittent fasting and do it for three months. Then when they stop or when they return to their previous, you know, how they were or what they were doing previously, they actually gain all the weight back plus plus. So, you know, we really, we, we sometimes think we're making 
good choices based on other people's results, but it's really, it's really dangerous. It's really dangerous. It's like, you know, taking a prescribed medication for, you know, oh, this, this helped, you know, my friend with anxiety, she took this antidepressant and then just sort of self-prescribing. You, you can't do that. Mm, yeah. It's like a game of roulette, right? We don't want to be playing that game with our health and well-being. Definitely not. Look, now we've just discussed that. My last question for you, um, even though we've kind of just talked about how important it is to really understand the depths of, you know, as much info as we possibly can. And I think getting a test is obviously the best way to do that. But for the listener right now, you know, they might want to do something today or tomorrow. You did mention just previous that, you know, potentially mindfulness might be the answer, but you know, how can we, without getting a test, get a deeper understanding of our gene expression? Definitely being, being more mindful and, you know, listening to your body and saying, how do I feel after I eat, um, you know, a pizza? How do I feel? Do I feel great? Do I have energy? Or, you know, an hour later, am I craving sweets? Do I feel bloated? Um, do I have cramps? is, you know, do I have diarrhea afterwards? So it's noticing what, what happens to you after having certain foods. So, you know, you might be able to deduce, you know, actually every time I have pizza, I don't feel that well, or my tummy's runny, or, you know, maybe I shouldn't have pizza. So you might be able to say by experimentation, I'm probably lactose intolerant, or I might not have the enzymes that I need to digest pizza. It's not a good idea for me. I can cut it out. But you have to be very responsible and self-aware to to make those you know judgments. And and another way is to to look at your family, to look at your parents. For example, if both of your parents are a normal weight and your siblings are a normal weight, but you're feeling like you are overweight, then you really do have to look at your lifestyle and behavior patterns. Um, so maybe it's not. Maybe I can't base it on my genes. Whereas you know, if you do have parents that are overweight or children that are overweight, you can say, okay, maybe we do need to to look into this a little bit more. So, so that's it. So I think at the end of the day, like the, the choices that I make for myself, it's, it's really so that I don't let my genes determine my destiny. You know, maybe genetically my destiny is to be slightly overweight, but it doesn't mean that will be my destiny. I worked with a, a doctor who said, you can live better than your genes. And, you know, it, it just, it's a, it's a statement and a saying that just rings true. And, and I think we, we all can. We've all been given a set of cards and, you know, you could have a, a great set of cards, but play them badly or a poor set of cards, but play them well. Another beautiful analogy and what a great way to finish the conversation. And you know what, regardless of whether you get the test or not, you know, being able to practice mindfulness and listen to your body, um, get a good understanding of your, um, your family, your kids. I think these are all good practices anyway, and why not implement all of it? Haley, it's been a fantastic conversation, super interesting. I know that we could probably talk for four days. <laughs> so I hope to have you back on the podcast very soon. But in the meantime, if um, someone wants to reach out, where could they reach you? Thank you, Mark, so much for having me. And I also hope that we can have um, s some future conversations too, because there really is just so much more to discuss. I have a website. It's called Mind Body Evolve, www.mindbodyevolve.co.za. 
I am based in South Africa, but the genetic tests can be ordered and delivered uh, globally. And just if you want to have a chat with me, if you want to reach out, I'm happy for you to publish out my, my email address or contact numbers. I'd love to hear from you and to, to help you on your journey towards achieving your optimal well-being. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, guys, we'll make sure that we get all those links and details in the show notes. So check them out. Haley Alexander. Thank you so much again. Thank you, Mark. We know that saying, you can't outrun a poor diet. Well, it looks like we also can't purely rely on good genes. I love the fact that we have the power and ability to choose our gene expression by the things we do with our hearts, our minds, and our bodies. If you enjoyed this episode, then hit subscribe, tell a friend, and give us a rating. Until next time, bye for now.